All right, John 6, 22 uh, to 51, a long section, so bear with me as we read through this. God's Word says this, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. I want to give you some context before I continue to read on to verse 23. Jesus, if you'll remember last week, just came off of feeding the multitude. So 5,000 plus people. Then he sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. A storm breaks out and Jesus walks on water to get to the boat. And then immediately it's on the other side. So the crowd is kind of awakening to what has occurred overnight. Verse 23, it says, Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Hear this, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am, hear this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Hear this, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. He says this in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my Flesh, this is the word of the Lord. Children are, are a great gift from God. I love my kids, and when our kids were young, 
Uh, we bought them toys like this. You guys know what this toy is? It's a, it's a shape sorter, right? You get these little shapes out and you fit them into the, into the hole and holes in the, the little voids in the toy all the way around. And so we give these toys to kind of stoke curiosity within our kids and, and create curious minds that are eager to learn, uh, which we find here in a shape sorter. If you ever find me in like a doctor waiting room, right? This is kind of the classic doctor waiting room toy. And you might find me, if I ever go to the doctor, I don't go to the doctor that often, playing with the shape sorter toy and they're trying to fit the shapes into uh, the different holes around the toy. The toy usually takes the curious little person a while to figure out, right? You ever seen an infant or a toddler play with this thing? What do they do? They take the star and they have the heart and they kind of bang it in there and try to figure out until they work around. And then what happens? The piece fits the hole. Oftentimes our lives are like that shape sorter toy. We walk around going through life picking up life's shapes and trying to fill, put those shapes and fill them into the voids and holes of our desires and hopes in life. And oftentimes we, we take the wrong size shape and try to put it and force it into a hole where it doesn't fit, right? Just like the infant does, what do we do? We bang away at that, but it never goes in there, does it? We have to find the right size shape to go into the correct hole on the toy. Our life is like that. We find this same attitude among this crowd that is supposedly seeking after Jesus as they curiously pursue Jesus for answers to life's deepest question. What is that, that deep question that they're longing for is what will truly satisfy our deepest hunger and longing, that void that Many of us have experienced in our hearts that void that can only be filled by Jesus, which brings us to our main idea this morning. Our main idea is this, and we've, I want to pause here a second. We've been preaching in John chapter 6 under this heading of the greater Moses. We see how Jesus is the greater Moses. So Jesus is the greater Moses who gives us the bread of eternal life. Jesus is the greater Moses who gives us the bread of eternal life. I want you to think back. Uh, back on the Exodus account, it's back in the Old Testament, so we're in the New Testament Gospels right now. Thinking back to the Old Testament, the, the Exodus account is when God had has freed his people from enslavement under Egypt, so the Israelites are freed, and the Lord, in during that time frame, when they were wandering in the wilderness, he provided for his people bread from heaven. We talked about this last week. Manna, right, is what they called it, and it was available every single day to his people. He supplied, God supplied for their exact need. And I believe that that story foreshadows the coming of Jesus who came from heaven. The better, we, I'll call him the better bread this morning, right? He's the greater Moses. He's the better bread from heaven. It's the person and work of Jesus who now Jesus does this for us. To be clear, Jesus satisfies our deepest longings and desires, not just in the immediate, but for all of eternity. That's what Jesus has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. It is that shape, if we think back to the shape sorter, it's that shape that fills the void in your heart that you desperately keep plugging shapes into that just don't fit right. Jesus says this in verse 35. It says, Jesus said to them, hear this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never 
thirst. Jesus is the greater Moses who gives us the bread of eternal life. He is the one who fills the void of longing and purpose in our life. He answers life's questions. And where we are unclear, we can trust in his perfect plan. But I hope we can acknowledge this this morning. Us, us humans are a fickle bunch, aren't we? We're fickle. We're picky. We change our mind. The deepest inclination of our fallen hearts is not to seek God not to seek the spiritual bread of Jesus, but instead to pursue satisfaction and that which was created by Jesus. We desire oftentimes created things over the creator. The creator is Jesus, which brings us to our first point. We see this crowd doing this, seeking life in the temporary. We see the crowd seeking life in the temporary. As we followed the story in chapter 6, the the crowd is seeking Jesus on the heels of, again, feeding the multitudes. We believe that Jesus fed at least 5,000 people. When we add in women and children, it could have been 10 to 15, upwards of 20,000 people that he fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. Displaying this, his power over the created order. He could tell things what to do, and they do it. The pursuit of the crowd... Upon first reading, right, now they're pursuing Jesus. Jesus left that area. He walked on water. Immediately, the disciples' boat got to the other side. The pursuit of this crowd now in trying to seek out Jesus may seem correct, right? They, they continue to run after Jesus. But Jesus, we're going to reveal this morning, he knows the condition of this crowd's heart. He knows what they're truly seeking after. He knows what they really want from him. And they are seeking life in the things that will never truly satisfy for eternity. They just want the physical bread. Jesus, keep, keep filling our stomachs is what they're saying. Keep giving us the bread. Let's pick up the story in verse 22 to 29. It says this, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum. Hear this, seeking Jesus. If we just stop there, it's like they're doing the right thing, right? They're following after Jesus. They're seeking him. But we read on now. We're going to find really the condition of their heart. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. He knows. He knows what their heart is after. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, because you want more bread. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, it says, God the Father has set his seal. What does that mean? God has stamped his name that this is his Son, that this is the Christ, that this is the Messiah that has come to save the world. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answers their question. This is the work of God. Hear this, family, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That is the work of God, that we would believe upon Jesus. These people are are eager to pursue Jesus, but again, Jesus knows their heart. He knows what they're truly after. 
They are after the physical bread that he gives. Not, they're not there to embrace the bread giver himself. They're seeking life in, in the temporary object. Right? And isn't that just like us? If, if we look to ourselves, we seek life and fulfillment in the temporary things of this world instead of the great gift giver, instead of the giver of life, instead of the creator. But you and I know, because we felt this longing, that, that the created things, they never truly deeply satisfy us, do they? We got car guys in the room. Car guys, where's all of our car guys at? Don't be shy. Don Badami, I'm looking at you. We have, we have a big, there's a big uh, like car show in Louisville this weekend, isn't there? Right? Big old car show, bunch of old classic cars out there. Okay, car guys get that cars don't really deeply satisfy those, those longings of the heart. Why? Because there's never been a bunch of people that kind of change things over more so than car guys do, right? Buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell. Find the next one, right? And you get, you got a whole group of car guys in Louisville right now that are drooling over different cars that they don't have. And so they'll sell the one that they have to get the one that they don't have. And it's a fun hobby. There's nothing wrong with that. But car guys get that longing of the heart and that constant turnover, that wanting the next thing. Jesus speaks truth to the crowd. He calls out what they're, what they're, what they're really longing for. Because they're not, they're not there for Jesus, but they're, they're merely there for the bread he gives. And, and this picture here that we see with these people, it's, it's a microcosm of our own lives. Before Christ, we have a tendency to worship created things instead of the creator. But you and I both know that, that they never satisfy the deepest longings. What's the deepest longing that we have? It's that, that work of believing upon Jesus, of seeking him and finding him and receiving him as the bread that always satisfies our deepest longings, our deepest desires, our deepest loves. It's the same conversation if we reflect back on chapter 4 that Jesus had with the woman at the well. When he offers the living water, she says, give this to me always, basically saying, so I don't have to keep walking back and forth to this well every single day. The same thing will happen here with this, this crowd of people. Jesus, give us this bread always so that we don't have to work to satisfy our hunger anymore. And Jesus does offer this bread to them, but it's not what you would expect. Because the bread of life is not some sort of physical substance. It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself that we must receive. So, so what does Jesus do with their seeking of physical bread? He does this. Jesus is faithful to proclaim the truth. And so Jesus does this. It's our second point. He calls them to true life. The crowd is called to true life. It says this in verse 30 to 35. You might want to get a pen ready and underline some of the stuff in here. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? What, what an interesting question. I want you to think. This is why context is important. What just occurred right before this? What did Jesus do? What did he do? He fed the multitudes, didn't he? He took five loaves from a little boy and two fish and he fed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. 
Then he walked on water to his disciples. Now Jesus is conversing with these people that are seeking him because they want their fill. They want to be filled with bread again. And he, he gives them the answer. This is what you need for eternal life. And their response is what? Then what sign do you do? I mean, what the audacity of these people to question Jesus like this. He just fed the multitudes, thousands. They say this, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Underline this, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That is Jesus. They said to him, sir, Give us this bread always. See, they, they still don't perceive, they still don't understand what he's saying. Jesus said to them, underline this also, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The beauty of this conversation between Jesus and this group of people who I would conclude are unbelievers, they're not followers of Jesus, they're skeptical of him. They keep asking for signs, even though he's just fed thousands of people. And Jesus, the beauty of Jesus is he's able to absorb the questions of the skeptics and divert their attention back to the subject at hand. My hope is, Christian, that we can do the same thing, that we can absorb the questions from the skeptics and point them back to the truth about Jesus in the gospel. They're seeking life in, in the temporary, bread that would satisfy their bellies, their stomachs. But Jesus offers eternal bread that will satisfy our hearts. That is our, our deepest longings, right? Jesus isn't just, see, they, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, show us a sign. In other words, they're saying this, okay? They're saying this, dance monkey for me. Do what I want. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Do what I want. He, they're like they're picking up the magic lamp in Aladdin and they're rubbing it and hoping the genie comes out and just gives them the three wishes that they desire. That's what they're saying to Jesus. It's a, it's a really sad and difficult conversation to observe. They've just been part of, of a great sign, this great sign of feeding the multitudes. It's such a great sign that it's the only miracle recorded in all four of the gospel accounts is that feeding of the 5,000. They've just been a part of, of a great sign. And the sign is this, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And in fact, they're doing this. They're questioning God face to face right now. Do you, have, do you get that when you read this? They are questioning God face to face. They're face to face with Jesus. And what is their response when they are confronted with God is that they would demand more signs. Show me more. Show me more. Show me more. What more do they need? They've just seen Jesus feed the thousands. But Jesus is faithful to give them exactly what they need to satisfy. And this is what he gives them. Hear this truth. He gives them the truth of who he is. They don't need more bread. They need the bread of life that is Jesus. He is that, that bread which God gives to satisfy the world, the manna that, that God gave the Israelites in the wilderness was but this. It was a foreshadowing of the one that is Jesus to come. The one who is able to satisfy all 
Notice it said in the text that, that he is the bread that gives life to what? To just the Israelites? To just this nation? No, it says the world to all who would be drawn to him. He clearly conveys truth to the skeptic. He says, again, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But the crowd, as we will see, is persistent. They persist in their unbelief. This Jewish crowd, just they should see it, right? They understand the Scriptures. They're quoting the Scriptures back to Jesus, but they refuse. They're blind to who He is. Just as, if you recall, if you've been with us throughout the Gospel of John back in chapter 5, the, the religious leaders refused to believe Jesus when they challenged Him on healing uh, someone on the Sabbath day. They should have known who Jesus was. They should have seen him in the scriptures in types and shadows. And here we see now the greater crowd, by and large, rejecting Jesus because they merely want the physical bread. They just want to be, just feed my stomach. Don't worry about my heart. Just give me what I want. They don't want his true bread of satisfaction and eternal life. But family, I want you to hear this truth this morning. God is indeed able to overcome unbelief. I want you to say this with me this morning. God is able. God is able. It's our third point. God is able. Okay, we are called and kept by the Lord. We are called and kept. Longer section here, 36 to 51. It says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Underline this next section. If you pulled out your pen earlier, this is important. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, hear this, I will never cast out. That's a beautiful truth. I will never cast out. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I want to pause there for just a second. We, we, we say this often, right? This is the perfection of Jesus here that we see. He's, he's obedient to the Father's will. Okay, Jesus is not only obedient to the full letter of the law of the Old Testament, but he is obedient to the will of his Father, even unto death on the cross. It says this further, and this is the will of him who sent me. Again, this is good news, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Again, for this, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What's the response? This is very sad. So the, Drew, the Jews grumbled about him. Mothers in the room, maybe you can relate to this. It gets late in the week, right? The groceries that you purchased early in the week. So you had some, some good Lay's potato chips, some Oreo cookies, and then you bought some, some vegetables and some fruit, put it in the, in the drawer, in the refrigerator. All the rest of the good snacks are in the cupboard. The kids devour those within minutes of them getting home, right? It gets later in the week. And what do they do? They come to you and they say, mom, I'm hungry. There's nothing to eat. And what's your response? Well, there's carrots and celery in the vegetable drawer in, in the fridge. And I don't want that. 
Right? You guys been there? Moms, you been there? I don't want to eat that. Here, the Jews have come to him seeking that bread to be filled. And Jesus is saying, no, you need this thing, right? Moms can relate to this. No, stop eating chips and go in there and eat carrots and celery. It's good for you every once in a while. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Like, hey, we know who this guy's parents are. It's the carpenter, the poor carpenter. And he's saying he comes down from heaven? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? What a sad scene we have as they are face to face with Jesus. And Jesus answered them, right? My mom voice is in my head right now. He says, do not grumble, right? Kids, Mom, I'm hungry. What's there to eat? There's carrots. That's all there is left is carrots. Well, I don't want that. Stop complaining and just go eat the carrots, right? Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Hear this beautiful truth. Again, he repeats this over and over and over again. And I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, not I'll raise him up on the last day. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. Hear this. And they will all be taught by God. Pause there a second. God can change the hard heart of a man. He can overcome unbelief. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Then he says, truly, truly, again, it means he's giving us some truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And he gives us this truth again, repeated over and over and over. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus means there, I'm giving myself I'm giving my whole self for the world. Here's the, here's the picture, right? Jesus keeps telling them which shape fits into which hole, and what do they keep doing? They keep dr- trying to jam the star into the circle. And it doesn't work, does it? Haven't you been around an infant or toddler that just, they just keep banging the, the wrong shape? And now they groan, just like a frustrated child. Why won't the shape go into that hole? Can can you picture it? I mean, Jesus is giving them truth. He's giving them the key to eternal life. And what is their response? It's the same response that your kid has when you tell them to eat vegetables instead of potato chips. They grimace and groan. I don't want that, Jesus. I don't want to hear that truth. They are, in fact, this is the picture. They are groaning and grumbling in the face of God. But then, Jesus drops some some deeper truth. We we get some layers of of the inner workings of God and salvation here. You, You can't just get the surface of Jesus. 
You can't just have the physical bread he gives. You need all the layers, spiritual and physical. There's both things going on here, okay? Now, my wife makes this amazing dessert, and it's simply called pretzel jello. That's what we call it, okay? Pretzel jello is amazing because it covers like the full gamut of flavors, sweet and salty, all right? You got, see, get a picture here. You, You get a layer of strawberry jello. And then she takes these frozen strawberries, like chunks, and puts them in the jello. There's this layer of like some sort of cream cheese mess in the middle that's got some, a lot of sugar in it. And then you got pretzels that I'm sure are crunched up, mashed up, with probably more sugar in it on the bottom. So you got salty, sweet, like all, but you have layers, right? There's layers to it. Like every time, it's so good. Like this is a this is a recipe from her side of the family. But when we get together with my side of the family at Thanksgiving or Christmas, like everybody demands what? Karen, bring the pretzel jello. Bring the pretzel jello. But here's the thing. Like I don't know about you guys. I'm not a jello fan by itself, right? Anybody here a jello? Like I'm just. It just doesn't. Jello never satisfies. You get strawberry jello just by itself. It's wiggly, like it doesn't fill up your tummy. It's just, there's just nothing there. It's just jello. But when you put all three of those layers together and you dig in that spatula and you cut out that chunk of pretzel jello with all three things together, the collision of sweet and salty, and you guys getting hungry? <laughs> all together, right? You get, you get the full flavor the full collision of of sweet and salty goodness. But you need all the layers, right? You don't just eat the cream cheese layer. That would be gross. You don't just eat the jello because it doesn't satisfy. And the pretzels mixed up with a bunch of sugar would just be pretzels with a bunch of sugar. I want all three. And here's what Jesus is going to do here. Jesus is going to give us some layered, deep-down, salty-sweet goodness, pretzel jello kind of truth here in this passage. He's digging in. The the skeptics stand before him, and and Jesus then reveals with their... Get the picture here, going back into the scene. So take yourself out of the kitchen, get away from the pretzel jello, come back, it's not dessert time yet. Now we're back in the scene. Jesus is talking to this crowd of Jews, and what are they doing at this time as he responds to them? They're grumbling, right? So imagine the crowd just grumbling and Jesus is, is speaking truth to them. And he says again, what? Do not grumble among yourselves. Mom's in the room. I want you, you guys are good at saying this. Say this, knock it off, right? Mamas are good at saying, knock it off. That's what Jesus is saying here. Do not grumble among yourselves. Like, knock it off. I'm going to give you, here's the full layer. Here's the full pretzel jello all together. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Hear this emphasis. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's a powerful promise. I want to give you this truth today that each and every person that is saved unto Jesus is a miracle that comes down from God in heaven. Repeat after me this point. God is able God is able. He's able to call. He's able to keep. You see, we think so lowly of God at times. We, we look at him like a, the, the dejected high school boy sitting on the bench waiting for a girl to come ask him to prom. Okay, God is a pursuer. He's not waiting around. God's going to go and get what he wants. He pursued you. Have you felt that? 
God pursued me. I'm not ashamed to say it. He came after me and he grabbed my heart and he changed my life. And he called you and he's keeping you. What do I mean by keeping? Again, I'm going to repeat this because Jesus repeats it over and over. Jesus said, I will raise him up on the last day. It's not casual. I was like, oh, I'll raise him up. No, I will do that. I will accomplish that. When Jesus says he will do something, what's going to happen? It's coming to pass. Jesus calls and keeps you in his love. The text says this. It refers back to the prophets. It says that we will be taught by God. What does that mean? We are taught through this, through the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. Our hard hearts are transformed by the power of the Spirit, and we are taught by God's indwelling Spirit. What do I mean by indwelling Spirit? God lives within you when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And because we have God's spirit within us, Jesus can declare this truth in verse 39. He says this, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Not one. Called and kept by God. But how is this accomplished? How is this accomplished? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 51. Jesus rounds out this section with this. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, hear this promise, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world, he says this, is my flesh. What in the world does that mean? It means that Jesus gave fully of himself. He gave his body physically on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. He gave everything for you. And he is, he's confident that the Father calls and keeps and that life is indeed eternal through him because of the flesh that is his body that he gives to the world. John 3.16, God so loved the world that what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. Here's the gospel truth. This is what Jesus did. Jesus came in perfect obedience to the will of his Father and the law of God so that he could call and keep all those whom the Father has entrusted to him. Jesus accomplished this by taking his perfection to the cross where he was condemned to die. And he gave up his life so that he could give it to us. And eternal life, this is the last truth I want you to hold on to. Eternal life is proven, it is fact, it is gospel truth because of his greatest sign. His greatest sign wasn't feeding the 5,000. It wasn't talking about the living water and, and, and uncovering the woman's past at the woman at the well. It wasn't healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. His greatest sign was the resurrection of his physical body from the dead. Eternal life is proven because Jesus lives. And because Jesus is alive, and he promises that those who believe in his work will have eternal life, that we will have eternal satisfaction. 
We can trust the promises that our sins are covered and handled at the cross. We can trust that the broken relationship that we have with God the Father is indeed fixed right now for all of eternity. For all of those who will, hear this truth, place their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Through Jesus, our life is given purpose and meaning. That void in your heart that you've been desperately seeking to fill with all of the things of this world can only be filled and satisfied through belief in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen.